title of my sermon this morning is The Lord's Supper, Part 2, The Purpose of the Lord's Supper. If you remember my sermon last week, it was the proper worship of God. This week is the purpose of the Lord's Supper. In 1863, in the midst of the American Civil War, President Abraham Lincoln gave this proclamation. He gave a proclamation of a national day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. And this, uh, this day of thanksgiving was uh, supposed to be uh, commemorated every last Thursday of November until 1941 where it was moved to the fourth Thursday of November. Now, I find it hard to celebrate Thanksgiving without a belief in God. You know, I just, what are you thankful for if you're not th- thankful um, for what God has given you? Yet a lot of people do. Throughout the years, since the institution of the Thanksgiving holiday, groups of atheists have tried to get rid of this day, and, and my only rationale is that they must just not like things, must just not like pumpkin pie, is my thought. I mean, and I like pumpkin pie. Um, I, I was reading something, and what, what one group wanted to do was change the name, or at least for them, they're going to change the name to Blame Giving. And the thought is that for this one day alone, they're going to say that if there is a God, we're going to blame Him for all of our problems, instead of thanking Him. For everything he's done for us. Kind of sad, and then of course that whole separation of church and state thing, they don't really like it when the president makes the proclamation on Thanksgiving. And, and it's sad. You know, I understand why people, like why people, like I understand the things that people might be thankful for. You know, anybody. We can all have a list of things we're thankful for. But in these situations, my real question is, who are they thankful to if you don't believe in God? Who are you thankful to when looking at the blessings of your life? If it was not for God, like who else could you be thankful to? I mean, you can be thankful for yourself, but you're just taking credit for what God has already given you. You can be thankful to others, but again, you're just doing, you're thanking yourself or thanking other people for what you or what God has given you, the achievements He has for you. God has blessed all mankind, even those who not believe in Him, even those who do not believe in Him. And He's blessed them in many different ways. But the most wonderful way that God has blessed each and every one of us is through the life of death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christians can never forget, we can never forget the sacrificial death that Jesus gave us on the cross, this atoning sacrifice He made for our our sins. It is this that we're going to talk about this morning as we continue studying through Paul's thoughts on the Lord's Supper according to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But before we do, let's take a moment to go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you now and I praise you for the change you've given us to gather in your name once again. I ask that you bless me as I do my best to declare your word and allow each and every one of us, including myself, to partake in your word today and just take something home in your name. Amen. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Last week, we began what I'm now officially saying is a three-week study through Paul's thoughts on the Lord's Supper found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In my sermon, I made the statement, divisions within the church hinder our worship of God. This was the problem facing the Corinthian Christians. They were not walking right with God. As a result of their sinful living, they were unable to worship God the way that He wants all of us to worship Him, the way that He wants to be worshipped. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17, if you look there, Paul tells the church, I do not praise you, because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. When the Corinthians gathered together in worship, they gathered together from a selfish perspective. They gathered together from a sinful perspective, not out of a a perspective of worshiping God. And again, the the specific element here, the specific thing Paul's talking about is gathering together for the Lord's Supper. 
But of course, we can apply this on a, a wider uh, a spectrum when it comes to worshiping God in its entirety. Paul could not praise them, as we see in verse 17, because their actions and behaviors went against what he received from the Lord, which is really introducing what he's going to say in a moment, what my text is this morning. Uh, This is what my sermon today will focus on, what Paul received from the Lord about communion or the Lord's Supper. So let's uh, go ahead and take a look there. So I'm going to make three observations, three observations this morning um, regarding the Lord's Supper according to Paul. Number one. The Lord's Supper is ordained by God. The Lord's Supper is ordained by God. Paul received this information regarding the Lord's Supper from God. Look at verse 23. We're going to read the first like sentence, if you want to call it, the first uh, like statement of verse 23. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. So, for I received from the Lord. How Paul received this information is unknown. We know that he came to Christ on the road to Damascus through Jesus himself, through a vision of Christ, through Jesus standing in front of him. I don't believe that's what happened here. He doesn't tell us unless the, the revelation, the special revelation he received, was at that moment on the road to Damascus. My thought is what Paul's referencing here is he received information from the Lord that was given to him by other people. This morning you're receiving information from the Lord given to you by me. I'm presenting that information to you. I would assume that someone, maybe um, Peter or John or one of the other disciples, presented this information to Paul. He, they taught Paul this information uh, if he had already had a slight understanding of what it was before him. Because I think it's also clear that he has some knowledge of Christianity as he was persecuting the church. There's a reason he was persecuting the church. Then you look at that which I also delivered to you. Now, I want to point this out too. This is not the first time that Paul has given this information to the Corinthians. Delivered here is past tense, meaning now Paul's giving them this information for at least the second time. He's already given them the information before. He gave it to them probably in person, if not in that first letter that we don't have. Paul received this information from God, either from a third person or directly from God. Either way, it's the same deal. And he is now passing this information on to the Christians in Corinth, and in all likelihood, I would assume the other churches as well. I mean, he gave this information to everybody. This is important, is really what I'm getting at. Communion, or the Lord's Supper, comes from the Lord. It is ordained by God as a holy sacrament. Is a good word we can use, I'd say. A holy sacrament. There are, there are things that Jesus did in his ministry that we have recorded in the Bible that we do not practice on a regular basis. For example, he preached from the side of a mountain quite frequently, yet we're inside a building. Maybe we should have church on the side of a mountain. I mean, it'd be a little cold right now, but maybe we should. We don't practice the customs of the Jewish people, for example, yet Jesus surely did. I mean, he ate the eating customs that he partook in were very much the customs of the Jewish people, yet we no longer practice them. And what my point here is that just because Jesus did something does not mean that we practice what he did, like as in like the, the certain things. I mean, obviously there's stuff that we do, there's other stuff we don't. The Lord's Supper was more than just regular activity that Jesus performed. The Lord's Supper was something important that was passed down to man from God. This is not just something we can just kind of push aside. This is an important thing that we should be partaking in. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul tells the Christians there that he received the gospel message directly from Jesus. So this is that direct revelation, the special revelation from Christ that Paul um, that, that was given to Paul directly. He says, 
For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Like I said before, though, I don't think that Paul received a lot of the information he's given to us directly from God. You know, he received the gospel message directly from God, but he learned the rest of it in the same way that we learned the rest of it, either through study or through um, study under other individuals. Nonetheless, this is very important information that was given to them by God. It doesn't downplay the fact that God still brought this information to, to the Corinthian church and through them to us, that God, that Jesus spoke it. It's recorded in, all, in three of the four Gospels. Um, it, it was recorded in this story of the Lord's Supper. Now, the Greek word used here in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, for received, comes from the word paralabano. Paralabano, and means to take to, to take to, as in, to take from one place to another. If we broke down the word, it would literally, you had the preposition para, which means from, and the, the verb labano, meaning to take, to take from. Thus, the best way to understand this word is uh, from the idea of taking something from someone else. Paul has taken this information that he got from God, and he's now about to present it to the people in Corinth. And I, and I think this is an important principle that we need to point out. You know, Paul took this great information about the death of Jesus, because again, that's what we're talking about here. Yes, the bread and the wine, that's great. But what he's really getting at here is the, the, the worship of remembering that Jesus died for your sins on the cross. And it's that information that he wants to pass on, and we as Christians need to pass on. When we hear something, or when you hear something from me, or when you hear something maybe from another preacher, and this is information that you feel confident about through the Word of God, you need to pass that information on. We have to tell other people about Christ. We need to tell them about this information. And that's what Paul did, as we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 to 11. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, that means Peter, the disciple, then to the rest of the twelve, really, and then to the twelve, meaning the other ten disciples. Judas is gone, no more Judas. Peter's one of the eleven, but he appeared to Peter first, then he appeared to the, the eleven together. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, meaning other Christian people, most of whom are still alive, meaning remain until now, but some have fallen asleep, meaning they're, they're no longer living. Then he appeared to James, James is Jesus' brother, and then to all the apostles, meaning another group of individuals who are now considered apostles because they have witnessed the resurrected Christ. And last of all, as the one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Paul's point is it don't matter who's preaching it. All that matters is who's believing it. And that's the most important thing we can possibly pass on. The most important thing we can take from the beginning of this passage. 
So Christians need to do the same. We need to pass the information on of the gospel to whoever we come into contact with. So the first observation I have for you regarding the Lord's Supper, from Paul's perspective in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, is that the Lord's Supper is ordained by God. Observation number two, the Lord's Supper is a reminder of the sacrificial death of Jesus. The Lord's Supper is a reminder of the sacrificial death of Jesus. Paul paints a picture. You know, he paints a picture of what took place in the upper room the night before Jesus was crucified. Does he really, what he's doing is he's painting a picture of the information. He's, he's painting a picture of the next 24 hours. This was the beginning of the end, if you want to call it. Because, of course, we know that Jesus' end was much different than your normal death. You know, he rose from the grave. But this was the beginning of the process that eventually ended in the sacrifice for, death, for sins, in his death for the sacrifice for our sins. Look at verse 23 in its entirety and then verse 25, or down to verse 25. 23 to 25 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says, once again, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So let's start off. Look at verse 23. I want to point out the timing. Of course, we know this is on the night before his crucifixion, the night where he was betrayed, where Judas betrayed him. The Thursday night, if we're looking at it from the perspective of the Holy Week, um, this was the night of the Passover meal. The Passover meal, uh, the Passover celebrated the Israelites' freedom from freedom from slavery to Egypt. Right, they were slaves in Egypt. The Passover celebrates their freedom from that slavery. The Lord's Supper celebrates the Christians' freedom from the slavery of sin. I just think that was an interesting significance here. Now, there are differences in the account, so I want to point this out just because why not? Matthew and Mark, uh, you heard me read uh, Matthew earlier, and it's, they're essentially the same account, very similar. There's really not a lot of difference and nothing, um, nothing to really point out um, outside of what Paul has already said. But Luke had an interesting, uh, I guess you, I don't want to say deviation, but he, he went away from what um, Paul said slightly. So go ahead and turn with me, keep your finger here, turn to me to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Keep your finger in 1 Corinthians. Luke chapter 22, uh, verse 14. We're going to go down just to verse 20. We're not going to read um, all of it. So Luke 22. Luke 22, starting at verse 14. Where am I? Same event. Verse 14. When the hour had come, he, meaning Jesus, returned or reclined at the table. And the apostles with him. So the disciples were with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup 
which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But, um, but behold, the head... Okay, I don't want to read any farther. The rest of it is talking about Judas. If you want to keep on reading, that's great. But it's talking about Judas. He's pointing out that Judas is going to partake in this as well. It's not really relevant for what I want to, what I want to focus on here. I want to point out, I don't know if you caught on to this, there was an additional cup. So you know, we take communion, normally have bread in the cup. This was a cup that supposedly Jesus did beforehand. And, and he, more than likely he did. In my church in uh, San Diego, we actually had a service where my pastor preached through the different uh, accounts of the Lord's Supper. And if you look, there's a different thing that the cup represents at each one to some level. And this is a beautiful example of this. So, I mean, and again, there's not a lot to look into this. I, I'm not going to dig too much into this. It's just I think it's interesting that Luke has an additional cup. The one thing I do want to show you is how the bread was served during the meal. And then the second cup, the cup that Paul and the rest of the apostles talk about, the rest of the gospel accounts talked about, where it was partaken in after dinner. So there was a divide. It was a two different times that the, uh, the, the Lord's Supper was broken up into. So Luke and Paul clearly indicate that the bread was eaten during dinner while the cup was partaken in after supper, is my point. Now I'll go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's look at the uh, verse 23, the end of the very end of verse 23 and verse 24. The bread element of the Lord's Supper represents Jesus' body in the flesh, which he, being God, sacrificially chose to give upon the cross for the benefit of those who choose to believe in him. And that's the, the point here. This, this, the body, the bread, represents the body that was broken for our, for our, for our sins. The body that was abused for our sins. Christians need to continually remember this. That's what Paul says. Look at Philippians. We're here. Here's Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 8. Uh, Paul says this. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he exalted or existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, meaning a slave, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Very important there. The death on the cross was reserved for slaves, reserved for non-Roman people. Jesus went from being God to being the worst of the worst. And he did that for you and for me. The bread represents Jesus' body that was pierced through for our transgressions, that was crushed for our iniquities, and through his scourging, meaning his whipping, we are healed. And that, of course, is Isaiah 53, verse 5. And then 2 Corinthians... Oh, what did I do? There we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that he so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Then verse 25, now is going to talk about the wine, or the, the, the cup element of this. The wine was a reminder of the blood that Jesus shed for us. The word covenant refers to a relationship between two parties of people. That, well, that one party, um, how do you say it? One party of people is presenting the covenant, the other party is agreeing to that covenant. The focus of the old covenant was the written word. Keep your finger here. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 24, verse 1 down to verse 8. So keep your finger here. We're going all the way to the beginning of the Bible. Exodus chapter 24, verse 1. Exodus chapter 24, verse 1. Then he said to Moses, meaning God said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron and Nadab 
and Abihu, Abihu, that's what it is. I had it all ready to go to. Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and you shall worship at a distance. Moses alone, however, shall come near to the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people come up with him. Then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has spoken we will do. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Then he arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain with twelve pillars for the twelve tribes of Israel. He sent young men of the sons of Israel, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant, meaning the old, the first five books of the New Testament, or Old Testament, the, Cor- the Torah, uh, and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, "All that the Lord has spoken, we will do." and we will be obedient. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So the old covenant, since you know we have the new covenant in, the, in, in, in what Paul's saying, the old covenant is the written word, the, the Old Testament, the law. The focus of the new covenant is the living word. Oh, what did I do? Oh God, I fixed that earlier. Look at John 1, verse 14 to 17. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified, meaning John the Baptist testified about Him, and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for He existed before me. For of His fullness... We have all received in grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus. It was through the shedding of the blood of Christ that forgiveness was offered to mankind and through which a new covenant could be passed down to those who receive Christ. Now turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. Again, keep your finger in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 9. So going from Exodus to the other end of the Bible. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, starting at verse 11, all the way down to verse 22. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, He entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats or or in calves, But through his own blood he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sanctify, a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? then verse 15. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a debt has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that we committed under the first covenant, 
those, I mean, again, the, the covenant we just read from Moses uh, in uh, Exodus chapter 24, uh, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead. If For it is never enforced while the one who made it lives. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without death or without blood. For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and, um, and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself, meaning again the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And according to the law, one may almost say, All things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. What Paul is getting, I mean, what, well, not, the, not Paul, the author of Hebrews is getting at, is that. The blood that was sacrificed in the Old Covenant was temporary. It might have lasted until you sinned again. But the blood that Jesus offered is permanent. It's never ending. It will always be there. It was through the shedding of Jesus' blood that we are forgiven of our sins. And that forgiveness was offered to mankind. And it was through which a new covenant, through His blood, this new covenant could be passed to us. The most important thing that we can learn from these verses is that Jesus' body was broken for our atoning and His blood was shed for our redemption. Your sins are forgiven. That's the best part of all of this. So observation number one, the Lord's Supper is ordained by God. Number two, the Lord's Supper is a reminder of the sacrifice, de- sacrificial death of Jesus. And now number three, the Lord's Supper points towards Jesus' return. One day Jesus is going to come back to earth, and the only real question is, are you and those you love ready? Look at verse 26, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll finish my text. Verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink, this, uh, drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. While the primary focus of the Lord's Supper was the message of Jesus' sacrificial death, We cannot possibly talk about His first coming, about His death, without talking about His second coming. John chapter 14, verse 1 to 6. Do not let your heart be troubled. This, of course, is Christ talking. Believe in God and believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have have told you. So if there were not many dwelling places, Jesus would have said so. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may also be. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Sadly, though, our society is so lost. Our society is pushing the gospel message farther and farther away. Mankind is searching for the answers to all of life's questions, yet their searches are always leading them away from Christ. They're all ending in vain. Jesus tells us that He is the only way to heaven. There's no other way. 
You might find other sources of happiness and fulfillment, yet these will always be temporary. Bottom line, true happiness and fulfillment in this life will only come through a relationship with Jesus. One day Jesus will return, and the sad truth is that there are going to be billions of people left behind. Billions of people who are not going to recognize Him. Apart from Christ, there is only one outcome available, and that outcome is eternity separated from the Lord in hell. And that's the sad truth, but that is the truth. There's no other way around it. Christians need to proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. If we choose to keep our mouths shut, whom of those whom we love will not be in heaven with us? That's just it. If we don't say something, the reality is there are going to be people that we care about greatly that will not be there in heaven with us. Those whom we love will not only be separated from you in eternity, but more importantly, will be separated from God forever. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 38, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness, seeing the people he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd, then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest, into his harvest. Then he says in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says once again, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And finally, Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Go and tell your parents, your children, your spouses about Jesus. Go and tell your friends, co-workers, neighbors about Jesus. Go and tell the world about Jesus starting with the people in our own town of Westwood, working out into Lassen and Plumas County, and then going to the very ends of the earth. We need to tell the world about Christ. And worshiping God through the Lord's Supper, we are celebrating the life, death, resurrection, and eventual return of Christ. I praise you that you know this. I, I thank you for knowing this. But the reality is, how about those who don't know this, those that you love, those that you care about? Go and tell everyone you know about Jesus but how He died on the cross to forgive you of your sins and rose from the grace so that we can all go to heaven when we die. Tell them that if you believe, if they believe in their heart and confess with their mouth openly, they will be saved from the eternal separation from you as well as from God in hell. Let me close up. In 1974, a 19-year-old by the name of Wilbert Jones was convicted of the kidnapping and rape of a nurse and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. For the past four decades, Jones has been serving his time at the East Baton Rouge Parish Prison in Louisiana. Here's the problem, though. Jones has spent the last 43 years saying he didn't do it, which, of course, this is the common cry of all the everyone in prison. I didn't do it, right? But Jones, was, his situation was a little different. Just this past week, a Louisiana judge overturned his conviction and sentence, setting him free. And the judge more or less said that there was by no means enough evidence to convict him. In, this, in a situation where, in my mind, I think I'd be a little upset with God, Jones comes out praising God. 
This man is praising God for his freedom. I mean, despite the fact that he has served 16,000 days in prison, his faith in God was still strong, or is still strong. While Wilbur Jones might not be guilty of the crime he committed, he is, just like the rest of us, guilty of sin. As we hear in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wager of sin is death. Meaning, not only are we guilty of our sin, there's a penalty for our sin too. And that penalty is eternal separation from God. That penalty is death. But God doesn't end it there. Because Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the free gift of God, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God for the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That body and blood of Jesus Christ is what forgives us of our sins. Through Jesus' death on the cross, we have forgiveness of sins if we accept it. Through His resurrection from the dead, we can go to heaven when we die again. If you accept it, if you receive it. You know, we're going to watch some football this afternoon, watch some more on, on Thursday, I think. And I'm pretty sure those quarterbacks are not always going to be accurate in passing the ball to the, the, the receivers. I mean, a lot of them are going to, the receivers are going to get it, and, and, and it drives me nuts. It hits them right in the face. And it bounces right off the thing, hits their hands, and they drop the ball because they don't receive the pass that had been passed to them. Jesus is passing us, uh, he's handing it off. He's not even passing, he's giving it to us. He gives it to us right here. All we have to do is believe and confess. If you believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross to forgive you of your sins, rose from the grave to go to heaven, so you can go to heaven when you die, and you confess that belief openly, meaning tell other people about them, about this, you will be saved. That's it. While we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are remembering that, that Jesus died for our sins, remembering what Jesus has done for us, and we are worshiping properly. We need to put our faith in Christ today, our full faith in Christ today, and if we do this, we will be able to get through all of life's difficulties, whatever they may be. Let me close this in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you and I praise you once again. I ask that you guide us and keep us safe. I ask that you just lead us in the direction you call us to go and that you help us know that you're an amazing God, Lord. Help us remember this, the, the information given to us in the Lord's Supper, Lord. Uh, the, the, what you wanted us to remember, the illustration, the, the example that you gave us in, uh, in, in the bread and the cup. Because, Lord, yes, the bread and the cup are important, but they're not that important. What's important is that we remember that you died for our sins so that we could be forgiven of our sins. And, Lord, what's equally, and if anything, even more important is that we remember that you rose from the grave. You didn't stay dead. You conquered death so that we one day can all be in heaven. I thank you and I praise you in your wonderful name. Amen.